Rebecca Harris, and we're really excited for her to come and speak with us about a real reality that is is prevalent in in our uh, society and um, culture right now. And so um, we had dinner just a minute ago, and it was great to to talk to her and and um, and just feel out this real reality. And so um, I'm really excited for you guys to hear from her. And um, so yeah, I'll give it to you. Okay. I promise we're not gonna we're not gonna walk around like this all night, <laughs> holding the tiniest little handheld mic in the entire world. So give me a second while I. What can you imagine? Like if someone were just like <laughs> walking around like this. <laughs> can you hear me? Yes. No. Is that good? Okay. Yeah? No? I can't tell. Sorry. Pardon the technical difficulties. I'm saying stuff. They said I'm good. Yeah, I think so. They seem to be happy. They don't look confused. A little more? Do you want me just to yell? I get loud. I don't know where this accent's coming from. I'm tired and I'm in Texas. I'm not from here. I don't talk like this. <laughs> I pick up accents and... Uh, my assistant is from Texas. She's not here, but she's the sweetest little southern, not to offend anybody, I love it, but I was at a different conference in Texas, in Frisco, and uh, I had said something, I was making fun of somebody, like I was like trying to do a sweet valley and it came out totally Texan, and like, <laughs> I was like, sorry, I wasn't trying to offend the entire room of people. I said I was making fun of Anne, and she was like, thanks, thanks a lot. But um, I normally pace, but forgive me because, like, I have been on my feet all day, so I might, like, fidget and sit on the stool. But, um, so my name is Jessica. I have no idea what you guys know about me and what you don't, or if you just, thank you for being here, first off. Like, can we just start with that? Um, I'm excited that you guys are here. And was anybody with me earlier today? Did anybody transfer over? Okay, great. I was good. <laughs> I can do the same thing. Now, I was at a conference earlier today um, at Pantigo Bible, and it was a, a teen girl conference for high school girls, and just had such a, a great time and a great um, response. So it's exciting for me to come and to kind of start the conversation here in a multi-generational setting, because um, I think it's important. I highly value multi-generational ministry in a church. And I think there are some, I think there are some issues that perhaps the older generations in a church don't understand, and it makes them incapable, really, of helping younger generations. And it kind of throws a divide between you, where this teenager is struggling with X, Y, Z, and you're like, we didn't even have that when I was a teenager. I have no idea what these words mean. <laughs> like, I don't know what these abbreviations stand for. I don't know what's going on. Um, so I talk a lot about, my thing is, um, I speak about pornography. That's what I talk about. And um, pornography and sexting, things that are really prevalent among our teenage girls. And uh, in case you're like, oh, it's not really that prevalent, please understand that I just came from a, a Christian conference with a thousand high school girls who grow up in the church and I presented my thing and we encouraged them to come forward with struggles that they were having and I want to tell you that like 75% 
of those girls came to the front for prayer. And our, our altar call time extended on and ended up having to go out into the hallway so the next speaker could come out um, to be able to start. And one of the girls, I had to go down and help because there were just so many. One of the girls handed me, we were having them hand in little sign, little sticky notes that said what their struggles were. And this beautiful high school girl handed me this sticky note, Christian girl, and I gave it to them. I would have loved to have kept it, but they wanted me to give it to them. And it said, I sent my boyfriend nude photos, and a month later he broke up with me. So to get back at him, I sent the photos to two of his best friends. And I flipped it over, and it just said, I feel so lost. It's a Christian girl who thought she was getting back at her ex-boyfriend by sending her photos to someone else. So this is, I know it's hard, and we would like to think that it's not here. And that I've been doing this for eight years, and the primary message, like the first six years that I was trying to speak in places was, well, we don't have that problem here. But you have to understand that one of the first girls that came forward to tell me, one of my first friends who came forward to confess this was a girl who was homeschooled, and the youth pastor's daughter. A family of mostly girls and all of their computers were in a family room facing the window. The parents had done everything they were supposed to do. Right? Everything that was right. Great family, all together. No abuse stories, no daddy issues. Very active and involved parents. They had set up their computer room. They were good. They had hit all those check marks. And yet she was one of the first ones that said, oh my goodness, me too. So I want to kind of shake and rattle this idea that, oh, well, if it looks like this, if we've set it up this way, this isn't a struggle here. Okay? We kind of think, oh, well, if it's a worldly girl or if it's a girl that comes from a broken home, then that's where the issue is. But I want you guys to understand that it can be here too. So what we're going to do tonight there's two sessions, and even just with talking um, with the folks that I was with at dinner about the dynamics of this church and not understanding you guys. I've never met you guys. I was with a different group this morning, and now I'm here, and I haven't had a chance to interact with this community, but they've been telling me all about you. And uh, it's been good stuff, don't worry. <laughs> but what I want to do tonight is I'm, gonna, I'm going to share my story in the context of of how it can apply here and how you guys can find grace and hope and healing here and connection here and how you guys can help here. And then at the second session, I would like to open it up for a QA and a um, where you guys can ask questions. Whenever I go somewhere, I'm always challenged to allow people to ask me the questions they might be afraid to ask, and especially older generations who are like, I don't know. I don't know how to ask without completely offending them. Moms, you might feel this way. Do I have moms in the room? Do I have moms and teenagers in the room? Yeah. They're like, yes. <laughs> All of them. Like, yes. <laughs> how many teenagers do I have? Oh, don't look so excited, guys. <laughs> Best years of your life, I promise. It's just downhill from here, okay? <laughs> and then I'm, a, I'm 31, so who's like in my... Like that weird, not a teenager, not a mom of a teenager. You and me, okay. I was like, you and me, girl. <laughs> and then singles. Oh, so we get married here, huh? 
Are there guys here? Because I'll move to Texas. <laughs> I will move. Find me a cowboy. No. Uh, <laughs> but I want to open it up for anybody. Anywhere you are, I'm single. Obviously not a mother of a teenager. I used to be a high school teacher, so I've taught them. I work with them. Um, used to be one. So that's the second session. So while I'm speaking in the first one, please be thinking of things you might want to talk about or you want me to answer, um, especially mothers of teenagers where, you know, like you can't really ask your teenagers because they get a little moody, lady, mm-hmm. <laughs> like still dealing with the hormone thing, like, mom, you don't understand. Um, feel free to ask me those because I want to help bridge that gap for you guys. I want to help make that connection. I want to, I feel like my calling is to kind of connect to the generations. There's a huge generational gap when it comes to this message in the church where I'm a millennial, the next generation up, their pornography was like the CD bookstore, Playboy magazine. Like you sneak and you, I see you nodding. It was blockbuster right behind the curtain. (laughs) Everyone knew why you were there. So women didn't do it. And then you have women my age who some of us were exposed to it and some of us weren't. And then you have the women who were the generation after today's teenagers where 62% of them are exposed to pornography by the time they're 18. Um, and where a majority of them have been asked to send nude photos or have sent nude photos by the time they are 18. So it's hard to go from Playboy magazine, which isn't even porn anymore. It changed because it realized that it's not cool. So it changed to actually being articles, which is, <laughs> which is what everyone bought it for before. And now everything's online. And so it's hard to make that connection for the older generation to the younger. And so that's what I want to do. So Let me rewind. I grew up in a Christian home and absolutely hated God. Um, My parents are divorced. My dad was abusive. So, and I'm sure some of you are probably like, "Uh uh-huh, typical, like, rebellious. Of course, you're here and speaking about this. But my dad was um, very aggressive and very... My parents, both of them, expected perfection, right? And God to us, we were a Christian family. God to us was a list of rules. And I'm Baptist, or I was Baptist. I was raised Baptist. And so Baptists are like, I don't know what Presbyterians are like, but Baptists are in church like three times on Sunday, one time on Wednesday. We have potlucks, and those are mandatory, and there's food, and it's good. And then there's missions conferences, and then there's big tent revivals, and there's vacation Bible school. And if you don't go to church, you better be actively vomiting or dying. Like, those are your options. And this is what it was like for me. And you pray before your meals. You always bow your heads, close your eyes, hold hands. You pray before bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord is my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, best prayer ever. (laughs) It's great. But this is what you did. And that's God is a bunch of stuff that you do. It's a list of rules. And that's God. And this is what you have to do to make God like you. And this is is the theme that I had growing up. This is what I have to do to make my parents like me. This is how you earn love. This is how you earn acceptance. I'm going to trip over this stool, <laughs> put it over there. Um, so I, my, to give you an idea, my father, this is what I talk about when I'm talking about earning this. I was learning to draw the letter O. You know, it needs to close, right? That's how an O is, it closes. If I missed that, if I did the swoop and I missed it by 
this or this or this, my father would reach across the table and flick me across the chin for an O. <laughs> to give you an idea of this is the kind of expectation I grew up with. Like, we're expecting this out of you. And then he left. And when I say left, like, I mean legitimate, like, abandoned daddy issues left. Like, I was away from my house at piano lessons, and he never came and got me. I am 31, and to this day, I still freak out if I think somebody has left me somewhere. We, my mom finally got there. She's convinced he's been killed in a car accident. Like, she can't figure out where he is and not responding. I mean, there weren't cell phones, so it was just like, we have no idea where he is. Got home, and he had cleaned out the house and was gone. And my, I was a daddy's girl. As much as he expected so much of me, I still loved him. And he left. And he took some of my identity with him. And so I think I just kind of went on this journey of trying to find that again. And people were trying to tell me, oh, well, God is a heavenly father, right? We say that. That's, a, that's the, the pat answer for, for girls who have dad issues, right? Jesus is your heavenly father. God is your heavenly father. And I thought, I don't want one. <laughs> if my dad can hurt me so much, why do I need an almighty God who can hurt me just like a lot more? He has this list of rules. My dad freaked out when I made the tiniest little mistake. And now he's gone and I don't know why. I don't know what I did wrong. But you're telling me that God wants to be my father. I don't need one. Thank you. Like, I don't need an almighty God who will knock me dead the second I make a mistake. So I wanted nothing to do with God. I grew up absolutely hating God. And at the same time, played church really super well. Because this is an expectation. It's all about expectations. You go to church. You sing in the talent competitions. You win them. You write poetry. You just right. You just... You go in and you, you own it. <laughs> you do everything absolutely the best because this is how you earn it. I was exposed to pornography when I was 13 years old completely by accident. I didn't even know the stuff existed. I was online searching for school. This is 1999. <laughs> were any of you, were you guys alive in 1999? <laughs> My teenagers, they're shaking their heads. <laughs> Okay, this is great. So back in 1999, teenagers, there was this stuff called dial-up. <laughs> and it was the original internet on your phone, right? So it, it would take up your phone line super, super slow, and there was no, like, YouTube. There was no streaming anything. Like, it was buffering everything. Like, you open up a page, go brew a pot of coffee, come back, and the page is still loading, right? So I am on the Internet in 1999 researching for school, and that's legitimate. I was actually on the Internet looking for something for school. The Internet was like a new fun thing, and we were so cool to have it. And you, know, you hit the little button and listen to the phone number, and then you listen to the... <laughs> Yay! And then you make sure no one picks up the phone, right? Because the second they pick up the phone, the Internet's gone. And I just logged on to a website, and it had, like, clips from the Magic School Bus. It had clips from, like, National Geographic, the frog catching the fly, you know, the really cool, like, slow motion. Wow. <laughs> and then there was this other clip. And it was pornography. And I had no idea. I'm just clicking through videos. Magic school bus. Okay, like these are completely benign. This is a children's educational website. And there's this video on there. And the thumbnail was nothing graphic. Clicked on it. 
And if you've ever been caught in like a pop-up vortex, like you know what I'm talking about, where you're like X and it just doesn't work, and there's like Windows like flying around everywhere, and all of a sudden your internet works super fast because like, you're like, how did that happen? But I was watching this. In seconds, I was watching this hardcore video. I went from being a 13-year-old girl who really knew nothing about sex in seconds to being a 13-year-old girl who had just watched a hardcore orgy. And I had no context for what I had just seen. I, had no, I, I didn't know what I was looking at. It was this completely foreign thing. My mom, I love my mom, okay? So this is not a knock on my mom. My mom, we're going to get real here. My mom didn't, I don't know if she's going to be okay with me. Don't tell her I said that. My, my mom didn't get her period right until she was like 16, okay? So she just assumed that I wouldn't get mine until I was like 20, <laughs> so my mother, God bless her, and I'm really sorry if some of you girls are like, what are you talking about? I'm really sorry. Um, so I, I came of age when I was 12, and I was pretty sure I was dying. Right? Like, I'm like, I'm dying, Mom. And she's like, no, no, but I don't know what's wrong with you. Like, I didn't get mine until I was 16. You're too young. I'm like, I told you I'm dying. Like, I knew it. I knew I was dying. But my mom just, that, that's the kind of shelter I grew up in, where I didn't even know, like, my own body and how it functioned. And even after I came of age, my mom was like, okay, well, here's some pads. Like, have a nice life. And I'm like, great. All right. Like, I don't know what to do with anything. But this is the kind of shelter. And so when I find this stuff online, there's no... Like, what is this? And then you try to close out of it, and you can't. And it just keeps pulling you in, and it pulled me into this hardcore porn underground, like, dark web website, where it wasn't even softcore pornography. It was deep and dark. And I'm sitting there going, what am I looking at? And there's a chat room there on the website, and I go into the chat room, and there's guys there, and they're interested in you. And so I started to explore this world of being accepted by complete strangers online and going into these chat rooms. And basically, it's the sexting of the 90s and the early 2000s before cell phones were a thing. You know, I got my first cell phone 10 years ago, okay? I was 21. <laughs> Some of you have had cell phones since you were like six. But I... I'm on these chat rooms and just having relationships with men, women. I don't know who they are. I have no idea. They're complete strangers. And if it wasn't what they wanted when I logged in and I said, oh, I'm six foot, 18 years old, tan, blonde. That's not what they were looking for. I could go back out and try again. I had no idea who I was. And I was able to be completely anonymous. And somehow it felt like acceptance to be completely fake. And I look back and it makes no sense. But starting out there and being in that place, it was my world. And these people became the people I wanted to get acceptance from. I didn't care about my family. I didn't care about my school. I'll make you happy. But I no longer care if you actually accept me or love me or care about me. I wanted these people online. And I began to crave the connection with them more than connections with friends and family. And people, and so I began to push family and people away, especially out of protecting. This was something that I liked. It was something that was enjoyable to me, and I knew they would have a problem with it. And so I pushed people in my life away. 
by the time I graduated from high school, I was going through high school, it had gotten so bad. I was, I would call my mom, a sneaky, sneaky teenager. I would call my mom when I got home. Um, I lived with my mom. My siblings had been taken away from the home. They were somewhere else. I would call my mom and I would say, Mama, I need to research for school. Now, my mom had caught me once. And my mom had lost her mind. <laughs> okay. She was absolutely beside herself. Tears streaming down her face. She pulled me into the room and she said, what is this? What did I do wrong? How did I fail you as a mom? And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't have an answer because I don't feel like it's your fault. <laughs> and she just said, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? What's wrong with you? She said, I didn't have any kind of desires like this until I was married. What is wrong with you? And I was just like, I don't know. And she says, please just tell me you were just curious. And I said, fine, I'm just curious. And she says, please tell me you won't do it again. Fine, I won't do it again. And then I, would, I went back and I did it again. I just learned how to protect. And I learned how to hide. And I, um, I would call my mom and I would say, Mama, I'm going to be online. And back in the land of dial-up, that meant that you couldn't use the phone while you were on the computer. And so I would say, I'm going to be online um, all afternoon. I've got a big project at school. I was getting 4.0, so no one's going to question me. Um, and she'd say, okay, that's fine. I said, what time are you going to be home? She'd tell me. So I would watch the clock, and I would go into her room and for hours be online watching pornography. And then I would wait until I thought she was coming home. I would clear the history. And then I would go back in and I would type in some websites that make sense for researching school. So that way it wasn't completely blank because that would be suspicious. And then I would leave the room. And mom would come home and she would have no idea. That was my life. And then I would go to school, and I was a teacher's aide at school, and I would sit in the classrooms at school during lunch, because I'm a teacher's aide. And I would sit in the classrooms and read erotica. Classroom computers, teachers sitting right there. They don't care. They don't ask questions. I'm a 4.0 student. No one's going to question a 4.0 student staring at a screen full of text. Surely she's doing something good. So I worked so hard on just keeping up all of these faces. I was like a master of the masks, right? I was the perfect Christian girl, Christian girl at church. I was leading in the church youth group. By the time I was graduating high school, I was teaching vacation Bible school. I was helping my grandma with her Sunday school class. I was singing in the choir. I was in the dramas. I was in the talent competitions. And at school, I was the 4.0 student. I was leading the school newspaper. I was in the dramas there. I was, I looked perfect. I looked fine. I wasn't a rebel. I was modest. I was a virgin. We're good. And I thought, eventually one of these places where I'm trying to impress somebody is going to finally work. Right? And eventually one of them will be enough that I can let the other ones go, and I can stop worrying about all of this. And pornography had gotten so bad, it started to threaten my other, my other, are you getting tired? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it started to threaten my other, my other endeavors, my schooling. I would stay up so late that I was losing sleep and my grades were struggling, and I thought, I have to get this under control. I firmly believed that it had a place in my life. I firmly believed it was healthy. I firmly believed it was okay, that it just, it was a good alternative. It wasn't real sex. And at least I wasn't sleeping with boys. 
There could be worse things. At least I wasn't doing that. And I thought, this is okay. This is totally healthy. This is fine. But it's not healthy when it's messing with the rest of my life. So I need to get this under control. So here we go, dating myself again. I would save pictures to floppy disks. Okay, all the teenagers like, we don't know what those are. <laughs> Way back before CDs, there were these things called floppy disks. But I would save it to floppy disks, and I would break the disks apart just because I was so angry. And I would run a magnet along that little silver disk in the middle, and then I would slice it up with scissors because I wanted to show that I was in control. Or I would print the pictures off, and I would light them on fire. I wanted to be free. But I didn't know how to tell anybody what I was dealing with or what I was struggling with, and I sure couldn't tell my mom. <laughs> we had already been down this road once. And I was terrified that if I told my mom, she would completely freak out. How do I ask for help? I didn't know how to ask the women in my church, because um, my Baptist church was run by a lot of older couples. And I just couldn't imagine walking into like someone like my grandma and saying, hi, grandma, like, I struggle with pornography. Like, I didn't feel like giving them heart attacks. Like, that just wasn't, it wasn't optimal. It wasn't a good idea. So I, I got through my senior year of high school, and I thought, once I get this 4.0, once I'm ex- uh, respected as a student, once I achieve this goal and go on to be a doctor, that was the plan, then this will go away. I won't need this anymore. This is just... I'm just figuring out what works for me. And once I get this, then this will go away. So I graduated from high school, and I give this stellar speech. If I do say so myself. <laughs> I give this speech, and my best friend was in my class. She had cerebral palsy, and so it was like a super inspirational story about how she learned to climb downstairs for the first time when she was 19. And like just this, I even threw a Bible verse in, right, because it was super controversial to do in 2003. Like people were getting sued for it, and I thought, I'm going to be cool, Christian. I hated God, right? So like, I throw this Bible verse in in a public school, and I thought, oh, yeah, like, I just nailed that. So I'm waiting for my diploma. And they call my name. My best friend is two people in front of me because of her last name. And so they call her name, and the crowd just roars. She has cerebral palsy, and here she is limping her way. She's able to walk across to get her diploma and people are just wow and I'm thinking yeah you know like that's that's she's mine I think that's my friend and then they call my name and that's what happened nothing except for my mom and she's like such a soccer mom that makes it worse right like that's like negative silence like that makes that makes silence worse (laughs) when it's only your mom you hear you're like (laughs) and I walked across and I thought there's nothing left like I just I just achieved my my goal and nobody cares and all right so school wasn't good enough I have no interest in making church where I find my identity so the only thing that's left is is pornography but I wrestled with my faith at that point because I've been raised in the church and I thought, okay, may, it can't be pornography. It cannot be this. I, I refuse. So I went back and examined my faith again. And um, I meant to bring my Bible, but I didn't. Um, I opened up to the, the verse in Romans 5, and Romans 5, 8. It says, God commanded his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So even while I was sinning and actively rebelling against God, he loved me. 
even while I'm watching pornography, even while I'm making all of these mistakes and struggling so much and doing all these dark and shameful things, he loves me. And it wasn't the love that I had to, to earn. There wasn't like a checklist of things that I had to make sure I marked off. It wasn't some conditional love that was dependent on whether or not I got good grades. It was a love that said, even when you are at your most unlovable, I still love you. And that was the first time, you know how many times I read that verse to people? Like, I had led people to Jesus. And it was like, <laughs> it's like leading people to someone you hate. Like, here they are, you know, <laughs> there he is, have fun. And it hit me for the first time, like, this is what I've been looking for. And I would have loved for it to be a story, like every story I'd ever heard in church, where the drug addict meets Jesus and cold turkeys, and the next day they never touch a needle again. Or the alcoholic meets Jesus and boom, there's no more alcohol. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to meet Jesus. I got it. Boom, no more pornography. No, that's not how it worked. And I went off to, to Christian college thinking, I need to get caught. Because if I get caught, someone can say, Jessica, do you have this problem? And I can say yes. And yes is super easy, right? Yes is just like a breath. Like, yes. <laughs> I can do that. Like, I think I can muster up the strength to say, yes. I cannot muster up the strength to walk in and tear down my own walls and say, my name is Jessica and I struggle with pornography. So I went off to college like, God, I want to get caught, but I don't want to get caught. So if you want me to get caught, you're going to have to catch me because like, you're going to have to get me caught. And I would pray these really bizarre prayers like, okay, God, here's the deal. If you don't want me to do this anymore, break the internet. <laughs> like for real. As I'm typing in the webpage, all right, God, if you don't want me to do this, this webpage better not work. Click. Oh, it works. This is totally your fault. For real. Like that's how I, that's how I functioned. And I thought, God, you know, you could stop this at any point. You could break the computer. You could, like, destroy the World Wide Web. Like, you totally can do all that, and you're not. You're not helping me at all. So this isn't my problem anymore. Like, this, you're living in me. You need to be doing something about this. And I kept, I kept going, wanting to get caught, but still covering my tracks. And it was this weird push-and-pull battle, kind of, of I want to be free, but I don't want to address the issue. I just want it to stop. And it wasn't going to stop. I did get caught in college and they pulled me into the dean's office and it was like one of those, I got an email, we need to see you in the dean's office. And you're like, I, I emailed back, what's this about? <laughs> like I had no idea. <laughs> and Surely you're offering me like a position on student council. And uh, they're like, you just need to come in. Okay, so I go in, and there's a red folder on the table. And the dean, she's this short, military-esque woman, and she's standing there. She says, do you know what's in the folder? What <laughs> stupid game is this? How am I supposed to know what's in the folder? Like, I didn't give you the folder. How am I going to know what's in the folder? And no. She opens the folder, and it was page upon page of my Internet history report. All of the websites, because you had to log in to the Internet all the websites that my login had visited. And somebody had gone through with a highlighter and highlighted all of the ones that were obviously pornographic that I couldn't like pass off as like, oh, that's a cooking website. You know, like there were ones that were obviously bad. And she starts going about how sick this is and how it exploits women and how, 
you know, this is just not God's design. And, and I'm thinking, I know. That's why I'm trying to stop. And then she says, that being said, we know this wasn't you. Women don't have this problem. And then she proceeded to berate is a strong word. Chastise. <laughs> we'll go with chastise. To chastise me for giving my password to multiple of my male friends on campus. And I should know better. I should be protecting them. And she made me sign a, a contract saying I never give my password away again. So I signed the contract. And I went back to my room and I thought... God, thanks for trying. Because I believed on that day that I couldn't. God couldn't love me. It wasn't that he didn't want to. It wasn't that I didn't want him to. But that I was absolutely unlovable. And because this was something that women didn't struggle with, I began to question who I was as a woman, too. Like, what does that mean, women don't struggle? If I do struggle and I'm a woman, does that make me a man Somehow, and like LGBTQIA plus wasn't a thing then. So I didn't even have a, a context for what I was feeling. I'm like, is what am I? Am I a man trapped in a woman's body? Am I, but I don't like women, or do I like women? I'm confused. And if I don't like women, does that make me a gay man trapped in a woman's body? <laughs> for real. And I thought, I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> like, I have no context for this. I thought, but you know what? There's, there's one kind of woman in this world who likes this. And those are the women in the films. Surely they like this. And I thought, that's it. Brand new baby Christian. At a Christian college, 17 years old, and my plans and dreams are to become a doctor. And I was fully capable of doing that. And none of that mattered anymore. And I thought the only way I can live my life and stop playing the game and stop wearing all the masks is if I just become a porn star. That's all I'm ever going to be worth. All of this other stuff doesn't matter because if I don't, I have to be able to own this. And if I can't be the Christian girl who watches porn, I'm just going to have to be the porn star who used to be a Christian. There are so many of those. There are so many adult film actresses who start their story saying, I grew up in a conservative Christian home. It's astonishing the number of stories you read that start that way. And I was going to end up being one of those girls. I started a relationship with a guy online, and uh, at the same school, chat rooms, I was going <laughs> to say chat rooms are not traceable, but I feel like I shouldn't say that because I don't want you guys going there, but teens don't use chat rooms anymore, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but they weren't, I would use like AOL Instant Messenger, right? Like Yahoo Messenger, like these internet-based chat rooms, and met a guy online, and I was so done playing the games, I gave him my real name. Gave him my real picture. Gave him the login for my school website, my login. This man now had access to my real address, 
my real phone number, my class schedule, and the information for every single one of the female students on that campus. I exposed an entire Christian college campus, possibly to somebody who was a pedophile or a sex trafficker. I'm not a stupid girl. I'm a 4.0 student. I'm not dumb. But I look back at that decision and I'm like, what were you thinking? Girls have been killed for less. There's a girl in, in England. Her name is Kaylee. Her name was Kaylee. Kaylee met a stranger on Facebook. And within 15 days, that stranger had killed her. He tricked her. She grew up in a, not a Christian home, but a, a stable home. And he tricked her. And here I was, 17 years old, and I had just, unbeknownst to me, opened up my entire college campus, potentially to somebody just like that. And he and I kept talking back and forth, and one day he asked me for pictures. He asked me for nude pictures. I had never been with a man. I was a virgin. I was modest. I grew up in the True Love Weights movement. Okay, this was a thing. It was huge. Signed the purity pledges, freaked out. My mom tried to buy me a purity ring. Like, I, this is the movement that we grew up in. And here I was faced with this decision of, of becoming pornography for this guy. 17 years old, brand new baby Christian, convinced that I was beyond the love of God, that there was no way God could love me. I locked my dorm room door, prayed that my roommate, another one of those prayers, that my roommate wouldn't come home, and I gave him his pictures. Pornography is the only struggle I can think of that you can actually become. You can't become alcohol. If you lie a lot, you don't become lies. You're a liar. But you can become pornography. And when you do that, I, I was telling the girls today, it's like that scene from The Little Mermaid where the... Are you guys okay with Disney movies here? <laughs> I don't know if it's like a witch, witchcraft. Like, like oh, Sorry. <laughs> where, where Ursula, the, the sea witch, <laughs> she, you know, she like goes into... And pulls out Ariel's voice, and like you watch it, and you're like, <laughs> that's what it feels like. It was like my soul had been ripped out of my person. And, and then, like, I had been separated almost like soul from body. And it was just like this, <gasps> and just pulled them apart. And the soul part just died. And I thought, this is it. And in order to feel okay with this, you just have to numb yourself to it. And that's the thing with pornography. Like, you don't know those people in that film. It's the most intimate act that occurs between two people. And you know nothing about them. You don't know their names. You don't know their favorite colors. You, they're not people when they're in pornography. They're bodies. And so when you become it, you kind of kill who you are as a person. And you just become a body. And... I became pornography for this guy. I'm 31 now, and I am absolutely convinced that to the day I die, those pictures are going to be the biggest regret of my life. I no longer have control over my 17-year-old body.
It can be distributed wherever they choose to send it. It can be used by whoever chooses to use it. And I cannot tell them no. It's a big deal. I don't have, it's not liberating. They'll tell you, oh, it's liberating. They'll tell you it's not a big deal. They'll tell you that it's empowering. It's not empowering. It rips apart and destroys who you are as a woman because it takes the very essence of who we are as women, which are these, these nurturing creatures who love community and we love people. And it kills that off and it just turns you into a collection of body parts, your anatomy. And here I was thinking, this is it. That's not it. Like, that can go away. <laughs> um, like bonus, bonus points to whoever. No, I'm just kidding. Bonus points to whoever smashes that thing. Um, I'm sorry. I was convinced that this was, this was going to have to be my new life. And this was going to have to be. Thank you. Did you get it? <laughs> I'm going to pause for the, the bug squishing. <laughs> um, but I, I hated uh, every moment that I worked with him, that I interacted with him. He would send me special requests, and I would grant them. And I waited for him to say, I waited for that acceptance, right? This is the most exposed I had ever been for somebody. And part of, and I, again, I'm a virgin still, but I think that part of the, and moms in the room, wives in the room, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think part of the beauty of the intimacy of sex is an acceptance of the body, right? It's, it's that he sees you, wrinkles, warts, stretch marks, you know, and all, and still accepts you and wants to be intimate with you. And so there was a part of me that's like, please let this be good enough because I've just killed off everything else I have. Like, you don't care about how smart I am. You don't care about how funny I am. You don't care about any of that. All you care about is this. So I have split them apart for you, and I've put that all the way. So please tell me this is good enough. And he sent back, you're beautiful. And I would have, in that moment, done anything for him. Absolutely anything. And girls like Kaylee did absolutely anything. Snuck away from home to meet this guy because he loves them. Two weeks after he met them, he loves me. Enough for me to run away from home. And this man passed Kaylee off to his best friend who was a horror movie junkie. And he raped her and he bludgeoned her to death. And her parents had no idea that she had even met this guy. Like this is this is the world that we are. This is the culture. And now it's not to say that every person you meet online is like a creep. I met some great guys online, but there are some really not great things out there as well. I went. This is fun. Um, so I had to leave Christian college. Remember, I'm still going to be a porn star, and I don't know how to tell my mom. <laughs> No mom wants that for their daughter. Like, if there's, like, a list of things you don't want your daughter to be, that's probably the, like, top of I never want my daughter to tell me she wants to be this. So I didn't want to go home and be like, Mom, I know what I'm going to do with my life, and I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm actually going to go, like, the complete opposite direction, and I'm going to be a porn star. And wasn't ready to tell my mom that. And 
I went home and was waiting for the right time. I was researching how to get into it. I thought it was like applying for Sears, and it's not, so I had to figure out how to do all that. And in the middle of all that, God just came and wrecked my life. And um, I don't want to, it's beautiful, and I don't want to drag on for forever, but um, I ended up at Bible college <laughs> the next fall, because that's where all aspiring porn actresses go. <laughs> I ended up at Bible college, and I had gotten to this point where I was like, okay, God, here's the deal. Like, I'd love to make deals with God, apparently. So I said, okay, God, here's the deal. I'm going to try to love you. What had happened was one of my childhood friends had been killed in this horrific car accident. Um, her, her husband and like all the guys on their missions team were killed in Florida. They were hit by a semi-truck and just gone. And I thought, okay, God, I'm going to be just, I want to be like her. Like people loved her. And I remember at her funeral, the pastor got up and he said, I have met people who have spent their entire lives trying to impress people and trying to be loved. And he says, we practically have to pay people to come to their funerals. He said, and here's Darcy. That was her name. And all she did was love Jesus. And these rooms can't contain. It was the second memorial service for her and her husband. And it was packed out. I think she was 23. And it was just like, you mean to tell me that all this time I've been working for all this acceptance, like, the, like all I need to do is love Jesus. So I said, okay, God, here's the deal. I want to love you. And I'm going to do my absolute best. But you need to understand something. This pornography thing comes with me. Because it's just part of who I am. I can't change it. I can't help it. You made me this way. If you let me get married, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Like, this was how I negotiated with God. And I thought, I'm going to go to Bible college. And then I'll go on with whatever I want to do with my life. And this is just going to be part of my life. Oh, well, deal with it. Guys do it all the time. Right? That's the message that we had heard. Like, guys do this all the time. Promise Keepers was huge. And I was growing up. And it was like, they always had a session specifically about pornography. Like, they always talked about it. So... Like, guys can get along with this. Like, I'll be just fine. So I went off to Bible college. And at Bible college, you meet, you meet this girl, Christian Barbie. Right? Christian Barbie. I can't stand Christian Barbie. Okay? <laughs> Christian Barbie is that girl. It's like, oh, my goodness, we're going to be roommates. And I've been so praying for you. And I'm just so excited that you're here. And this is what I was doing when I accidentally made fun of Anne. I sounded like I was from Texas. <laughs> and she, And you're like... Hold the phone. What is wrong with you? <laughs> You're too perfect. I hate you. Like that's, that's how this is going to work. And I met these, these women who were just so excited about Jesus. And I was just like, you guys need to calm down just a little. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I could have a, a little bit of that excitement. Just a little. I, I would like that. And so I began to, to pray every day and to read my Bible. And I thought... And I knew so much about God. Like, I had grown up in church, right? So this, is, this should be easy. And I just felt like it wasn't going anywhere. And I went into, we went into an all-women's meeting. And they talked about this idea of strongholds. And it's from 2 Corinthians 10, um, verse 4. And it says, for the weapons of God are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And the other sides, the verses that bookend that one are... Um, like we wrestle not we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but the idea of for the we the weapons we use are not of the flesh, but they are of God. 
And then after that is the verse about taking every thought captive to Christ. That's where that verse about strongholds falls. And it was this idea that a stronghold is a struggle that you've stopped fighting. It's, it's just something that you've said, fine. Like, I'll leave that here. As long as I fix everything else, this is fine. As long as I'm a virgin until I'm married, it's okay. And once I get married, then I'll be able to have real good godly sex. And this will just, poof, go away. It's... It comes from, it's a military thing, that God's a stronghold for us too. It's Psalm 9.9. It talks about God being our stronghold. So it's not a bad thing to have a stronghold, but it's a bad thing to have a bad stronghold. And the idea is, like, when an enemy camp comes in, if this town were to be taken over, they don't back a castle up on a, on a truck and just drop it off, poof, we're here. That's not how they do it. They would come in in tents to take over. And a tent I can handle. And if I squash the tent while it's still a tent, problem solved. But if I ignore the tent and I say, oh, it's not a big deal, or oh, I don't really want to fight them, they look a little scary, like somebody else fight them, this isn't my problem, or it's just a tiny tent, like they can have this little section of the city, not a big deal. And then I move on with my life and I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. One of these days I'm going to turn around and there's going to be a castle behind me. And then I'm going to say, how did that get there? I feel so ashamed that I let that get there. And now, instead of fighting it, I decide to protect it and make sure no one else finds out about it. So now I'm going to dig a moat around it, fill the moat with gators. Do you have gators here in Texas? No. Um, I don't know what else can be an angry little animal. Rattlesnakes? Maybe not a moat with rattlesnakes, though they won't make it. <laughs> they swim? I think they swim. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe a snake that swims. <laughs> and we just, we fill it with these things. And for me, it was like I like had mine camped out with like fire-breathing dragons, right? I was like an angry, angry person. If you got within like five feet of my stronghold, I just torched you to the ground. I, I would lose friendships left and right because I had no problem lighting into people and making sure that you felt horrible about yourself and never wanted to talk to me again. That's how I protected mine. And we end up, like, okay, I've dug around it. I've built these trees. I've painted over it. We're good. And we think, I'm going to live free in all these other areas. But we are constantly wondering if someone's going to find out about this. So there was this idea of these strongholds are something that's kind of always call to us. And we all can have them. And it doesn't have to be a sexual one, but it's just this idea of, oh, yeah, sure, you're the youth pastor's kid. But we all know you're fake. Oh, yeah, you lead worship in church. But I know what you do when you come home. And you constantly just feel like you have to overcompensate. You have to get further away. And they were talking about this, this idea, and I'm just leaning in because that's where I felt like I was. Like, they said, if you feel like there's a hook in your back and you're not going anywhere, you have a stronghold. And I'm like, oh, like, tell me how to fix it. And that's when the dean of women got up and she said, we know some of you in this room struggle with pornography, and we're going to help you. It's a room full. This is a room full of Christian women in 2004. Okay, we are 13 years removed from this, and if there was multiple women in a room full of Christian women in 2004, there are multiple women in a room full of Christian women in 2017, and I remember being angry. <laughs> and I never felt so American in all my life. <laughs> like I was like, you can't make me do this. 
This is a free country, and Texans, you totally should identify with us right now. <laughs> like, you cannot tell me to tell you anything. Okay, they hadn't told me to tell them I was struggling with pornography. I could have lied. Like, I struggle with, I don't know, like something lying. Like, anger. <laughs> I have a few of them. And I remember thinking, God, this isn't fair that I'm having this issue. Why do I get the big, ugly, gross sin while Christian Barbie over here is like, I just don't read my Bible enough. <laughs> you know, I only read it two hours a day. <laughs> I need to read it more. I don't have the entire book of Philippians memorized yet. You know, like this is their stronghold. And I'm over here like wrestling a real battle. I'm like, God, this isn't fair. Why do I have the real battle? And they're over here like being all cute. This isn't, I don't want to do this. And, and people told me all growing up, they would tell me all how wrong pornography was. And I knew that. And they would tell me things like, you don't ask for help, you're prideful. And I wasn't. I didn't ask for help because I was terrified. Because asking for help is like the last thing you do. And it's, it's a bit like, and I'm not discounting anybody who has lived through an abusive relationship, so that's not what I'm doing here. But it's a bit like the stories you hear of women leaving abusive boyfriends. You step out that door and you say, I'm gone. And you better be gone. Because if you go back, you'll pay for it. And I thought, if I confess, if I make a break for it, if I say, I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore, I'm calling it out and I want to get out of here, and I actually don't make it out, I'm terrified. I almost joined the porn industry. Like, if I confess and it doesn't work, then what happens? So it wasn't pride. I wasn't prideful. I was terrified. I was scared. And I thought, there's no way. I, I don't know what's safe. It doesn't matter how far away that, that safety is. It looks like a long way away if you know you're being chased. And I thought, I don't, I'm, I'm so scared. And I wrote out, we had these little slips of paper, right? My stronghold is, this was typed on the paper, super easy to fill out. Like, all I had to do is my name. I know that, right? My name is, my stronghold is. And I'm weeping, and I'm looking up at the dean of women, because I was sitting in the front like a bad Baptist. I'm looking up <laughs> at the dean of women, and I said, do I have to? She's like, never asked that question. She's like, yeah, you definitely have to. You definitely have to. <laughs> and I don't want to. And God was like, um, they just started the conversation for you. Like, they gave you an answer. It's like when a teacher gives you the answer to a question, like, on a test. Like, they already provided the word that you get to fill in. And all you have to do is write it in. And it was the first time that I had written it down and identified with it, and it crushed me. And I remember thinking, like, this, this is who I am. And it's not Jessica Harris, the 4.0 student. It's not Jessica Harris, the, the Bible college student. It's Jessica Harris, the porn addict. Like, this horrible part of my identity. And I remember rolling those little, I had two of them, and I remember rolling them up into the itty-bittiest little scrolls you'll ever see in your life. And I, like this big, and I have these two little scrolls, and, and I hand them to the two women that I was supposed to give them to, my dean staff. And I'm like, read these later. Like, later. Like, lose them. Like, never. Read them. And I, I think I left the meeting after that. I don't even think I stayed. I don't remember. And I just remember walking back and feeling so afraid and so scared and so defeated. And I thought, God, I need you right now. I don't, I don't feel you. 
I just feel all of these lies that I've carried with me about how I can never tell anybody this and how women can actually do this and how I'm not lovable because of this. And that's all I'm hearing right now. And this has to work. And I remember the knock on my door from my assistant dean, and I thought, they're going to send me home. And if they send me home, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she opened the door, and she pulled me out into the hallway, and she said, Jessica, what you wrote was brave. And we're going to help you. Brave. It did not feel brave to reveal the, the deepest, most shameful struggle of my life. It did not feel brave to tell somebody that I wasn't able to fight off something on my own. It did not feel brave to tell somebody that I had made these choices and I had made this mess. Because I had grown up in a culture that was very much like, you made your bed, you lie in it. Right? You made this mess, you get yourself out. And so it didn't feel brave for me to essentially throw my hands up and say, I can't fight this anymore. That seems like a chicken. That seems like the cowardly way out. Like, I need to be strong, and I need to take this down myself. And instead, they're saying, no, 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 you're brave for sharing this, and we're going to help you. And it began this two-year-long journey of just healing. Because what strongholds are is they're a place you go to find refuge and escape and security and safety, and you have to learn to stop finding all those things here and to start finding all those things in God. And that transition is super hard. You don't just flip over one day. You have patterns and you have ideas. And so they worked with me one-on-one and pulled me through this, and it was a long process. But there was one, and every time I would go home on break, I would fall. There was no porn at the school, but the thing about pornography is it's not like alcohol or drugs or anything else. It kind of like infiltrates your mind, right? And I don't need new stuff. I could close my eyes to pray of all things. And it was like a movie theater. I just want it to stop. And that's where the whole taking every thought captive and casting down imaginations and all of those things, bringing everything captive to Christ. And I had to learn how to do that because... It's not like alcohol where you can take it away from me. Like You couldn't take this away from me. So I had to learn how to take all those thoughts and give them to Jesus. And it was a long process. And I would go home, and I would think, okay, okay, I can do it. And then I'd go home. It's the same environment. It's the same patterns. There's nothing to do. I'm bored. What am I going to do? And I'd find myself going right back to it again. And there was one break. I was studying through Romans 6 through 8, those chapters, And the reality hit me that I choose this. Stronghold here, bad stronghold, good stronghold. I choose which one I run to for safety. I choose which one I run to for comfort. I choose which one. And once I got that, I realized that purity, as we call it, isn't isn't so much like not doing this. Like it's not don't have sex. It's not all of these things. It is... In the Bible, so many times we we make it sexual, but in the Bible so much it refers to more of a holistic approach to worship. Our hearts are what's pure in the Bible. And this idea that purity is so much more than just not having sex, because I can not have sex and be in this stronghold over here. Purity is about 
living a life of worshipful surrender that encapsulates everything. My mind. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, (coughs) your emotions, your soul, and your mind, your thoughts. And I can't do that in that stronghold. And when I was able to make that transition, I was able to to stop watching pornography because it wasn't like, oh, this isn't sex, it doesn't count. It was like, this isn't honoring God at all, like, at all. And I went back home or went back to college after that break and I walked on campus and the dean didn't even have to ask. She looked at me and said, you made it. She's like, you made it. She's like, I don't even have to guess. I don't need to ask you. She says, your countenance has completely changed. And I say all of that, and I, I go around and I encourage, I encourage groups to have these conversations because this is such a dark culture that we live in, and this is such a dark place. And it's easy for us to say, like, oh, well, you're so, this is so evil, right? And the Internet's so evil. No, 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 no. The Internet can be a great tool. My blog is on the Internet. You leave the Internet alone. Like, <laughs> and they think, Oh, this is so wrong. This is so bad. No, 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 no. It's all about, it's all about how you love Jesus with it. And purity is, is more about how I'm worshiping Jesus. And when I, when I operate from that, I can say, I used to be this way, but now I'm pure again. Because I, I love Jesus, and I'm honoring, and I'm serving him. And I am, like, way over on time, I think. Sorry. I talk. <laughs> um, but that, that is my story. So that's where I come from. I travel around and I talk to groups um, about pornography, about sexting, um, about how to teach purity to today's teenagers um, because it's different. And it, purity itself is not different, but the battles that they face are. So we're going to break. I have a book. I'm not sure if it'll be ready, but I do have my whole story all written out. It's here tonight and it's here tomorrow um, if you want to read more than what I just said. But... Um, Again, if you guys have questions, I don't know, paper, whatever, write them down for me, and the next thing is all Q&A, or you can ask um, out loud, too. So go, we'll have, take a break, and then go from there. Sorry. Yeah, there's refreshments outside, too. Oh, and there's food. Yeah, there's food.